But I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. And then we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Facing down fear. As I have talked to people and, and, and shared and, and just, just in conversation with people, I have found that fear is a very real part of people's lives. We seem to have this spirit of fear that hovers over us and captivates us, paralyzes us. Second Timothy chapter 1, Paul's going to talk about this. Um, fear. I mean, fear is a part of life. We all have things we're afraid of. I was, um, some years ago, uh, I, was, I was hunting down in uh, middle Georgia, and I uh, carried Charlene with me. She was going to be my hunting partner that day, and I uh, had her bundled up for the cold weather, and, and uh, she was ready to go. I had put a gun in her hands that really had bullets in it, um, and we made our way. We walked about a, a good mile to the deer stand was, uh, and got on a field. It was a big deer stand designed for two. We got up there, and, and it was pretty neat. And, uh, we were just, it was just a great time, and she was enjoying nature with me. Of course, we were um, uh, at, and then something happened. It was just, a, you know, it was the afternoon, and it was just a settling down of the day, and uh, it was just nice. We had not. I had seen one deer moving through the woods, that's all, and, and, and uh, on the, on the, so, but all of a sudden, in the quietness of the evening, in the stillness of the afternoon on that field, there came a scream that is indescribable from about 30 yards behind our tree stand, upon which Charlene became very fearful, because it was like, what was that? Well, it was a bobcat. And, you know, I, I'd heard him before, but she hadn't. And, and uh, it scared her to death. And, and she says, now, she don't want, now, you know, we're waiting. I said, ah, oh, dear, may come by, we'll see. I don't know, that, that probably shook a lot of things loose. Anyway, nothing happened. The darkness settled in, and we came time to get out of our deer stand. She didn't want to get out of deer stand. I said, darling, we can't stay here all night. I'm hungry. Uh, no, I don't want to get down. Because she'd heard that horrific noise, and it was terrifying to hear. Just a scream. I said, it's okay. She says, why aren't you afraid? Because I have a 30 odd 6 I'm not afraid. <laughs> Let's go. And we made it, you know. Uh, fear has a way of keeping us still. It paralyzes us, so we don't move. And so I want to talk about this thing called fear, because I think today in our culture, in the circumstances in which we face, we are having, we're going to have to learn how to face down fear as believers. We're not immune to it. We're not exempt from it. We must learn how to face it down. So I want to talk about that today because the smallest of fears can become the greatest of barriers in experiencing an abundant life in Christ. And here's what Paul had to say to his son of the ministry, Timothy. Now, Paul was facing execution. He was going to die. And yet there is this fearlessness in this man's life that is amazing. And I think he's now trying to say to his son of the ministry, who's now probably concerned about the fact that 
Preaching the gospel has landed Paul in jail. Preaching the gospel has led him to the executioner's appointment book. And you've got to wonder if Timothy's beginning to second think this idea of preaching the gospel. Of really standing in his faith. I probably would. You probably would too. Say, man, this has been, my, my mentor is about to be executed. Simply his crime is preaching Christ. In a culture that doesn't want to accept Christ. Kind of like today. And so... Paul wants to give him his last words as an encouragement not to be afraid. And here's what he says as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and love and sound judgment. Oh, he says to Timothy, God's not giving you that spirit of fear that seems to be hovering over you, that seems to be somewhat... Uh, impairing your judgment and, and holding you back. He said, I want you to turn loose and let go. I think perhaps today the church has become fearful over many things. We're fearful of circumstance, fearful of change, fearful of what's going to happen tomorrow. We're fearful in our personal lives. We're fearful in our church life. We're fearful in our financial life. Fear is a big part of what we face every day now. We're fear about going to the doctor. There's fearfulness about what would be said in diagnosis. Fear. Yet, we're told to face it down. But I think the greatest of fears is us being the people of God he's called us to be. We somehow are trying to not put ourselves in a negative way. Yet, truthfully, if you're going to be salt and light, some people aren't going to like you. As a matter of fact, some people will hate you and despise you. But I'd be afraid of that. Satan and his emissaries desire to paralyze Christians with fear. Fear of loss, fear of criticism, fear of failure, and fear of illness. Easy, pick one. We've all felt them. But I want to tell you, first of all, fear is costly. If we give in to the spirit of fear, it's very costly. It has a high price tag. And Paul understood that. He's writing to his son. He said, don't, don't give him that fearful spirit. Don't let that fearful spirit dominate your life because it'll cost you more than you want to pay. It, it'll, it'll, it'll be more expensive than you ever thought. And I think today we, we tend to think, well, I, I'm just a little fearful, so it'll be okay. No, it isn't okay. Concerning the kingdom of God, the carrying forth of the gospel, the presenting of the good news of Christ, we can't afford to be fearful. There's too much at stake. In our own lives and the lives those need to hear. And so he says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we're going to go through a story that's very familiar. It's, it's uh, Moses is now preaching a sermon to the next generation. The first generation of Hebrews left Egypt and uh, came to the, the, to the very threshold of amazing conquest. And they stepped away from it because of fear. They never went where they were supposed to go and never accomplished what they were supposed to accomplish and never achieved what God had attended. And therefore, they stepped away from it and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I want to tell you the story. Here's what he's going to, here's what he learned from this story. The costliest of the Hebrew children was in the nation. They had to wander for 40 years dealing with heartbreak and the, and, and the very emptiness of just being in the wilderness. 
They lived with a loss of opportunity for 40 years. God still loved me, still took care of them, but they lost these opportunities. This amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, they pulled back because of fear. And here's what we know. There's five things I want you to understand about this. Number one, fear causes us to disregard God's plan. God's plan for them was to leave Egypt and establish a nation in the promised land. He'd come, he had made a covenant with Abraham, and that's what they were supposed to do. And yet in all the process of leaving Egypt, and God showed himself to be amazing and mighty and miraculous, and yet they came to the threshold of walking into the promised land, and they pulled back because of fear, and they simply disregarded God's plan. It no longer mattered that their plan, that God had delivered them from Egypt to go into the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. They no longer said it's important. Fear does that. It does that. In verses 19, well, let's just go to verse 21. Let's do this. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Don't be afraid or discouraged. God understands us, doesn't he? He said, look, I know what's going on. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Go follow my plan. That's all I ask you to do. Possess the land. But fear to follow causes them to stay. Can I say something to you? God has many indescribable opportunities for you and for me, but fear will cost us every one of them. We'll miss what God is trying to do with us individually, us collectively as a church, when we walk in fear and have that spirit of fear just kind of hovering over us. That's not his plan. He's never planned for his people to be fearful. He is designed for us to possess the land wherever it may be, whether it's in Lindale or Georgia or around the world as we give through missions, as we try to communicate the gospel of Christ. We're called to be a people on the move, marching. We've not been called to hold the fort. We've been called to take the battle to the darkness. And so he says, I don't want you to be afraid and disregard my plan. That God's plan hasn't changed. We're to go and make disciples And share the gospel. No matter the cost. But not only does it disregard God's plan, fear also distorts God's purpose. As we look at this, uh, his purpose was to show himself mighty and to do something incredible with people that didn't deserve it and weren't qualified to win battles, but they were going to win battles. And his purpose was to show himself great, as he did in Egypt, and also build their faith that they would be even more than conquerors. But fear distorts the purpose of God. We don't see it clearly, do we? As they didn't. In verse, in verse uh, 26 and 27, well, it's, But you were not willing to go up, rebelling against the command of the Lord, your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt, deliver us in the hands of the Amorites so he would destroy us because he hated us. That is a major distortion, is it not? God doesn't hate them. God did amazing things to them. He, he loved them. He set them free from slavery. He was going to care of the land flow of honey. And they have the, uh, the, the foolishness to say that God hated them. Ah, how distorted we can become when the spirit of fear rules our lives. 
You ever, uh, you ever gone to the to the affair somewhere and they have a house of mirrors? You ever gone to house of mirrors? They're fun, aren't they? I like the ones that make you look thin. I'll stand if ah, that's pretty good, and I just stand there and think, boy, that's, I'll look awful thin. But then there's some that make you look rather short, and stocky. Some make you look uh, strange and and disjointed. But we understand they're distortions of who we are. That's not who we are. And so we laugh at that. We have fun with it. We don't mind if people see the distortions. But in our spiritual life, we also see things distorted. And sometimes our perception of God is very distorted. We think him weak and unable and distant, uncaring. None of those things are true. But fear has a way of doing that to us. Uh, it, it distorts the purpose of God. And you know what I've discovered? It, it, robs, your, it robs your view of, of, of heaven's perspective, and it brings the worst out in people. When people are truly afraid, they think of no one else but themselves. Do you see what happened here? Because of fear, they started complaining about God and finger-pointing and filled with despair. You know, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the sight of the enemy. What a distortion. God saw them as conquerors. And they saw themselves as grasshoppers. He saw them as warriors. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. Isn't it amazing what fear would do to our perception of who we are in Christ and even who God is in relation to us? And then we find that fear discourages God's people. Wow, does it ever. Where can we go, verse 28? Our brothers have discouraged us. Now, you understand what happened. They sent out 12 spies, and when they came back, 10 spies said, well, it's a great land. It's everything God said it was. The fruit's outstanding. It would be an awesome place to live. The only problem is giants live there, and they're very fortified in, their, in, their, in what they have, and they're very strong. They're, they're, they're obviously seasoned warriors, and we just can't win. And 10 guys convinced a whole nation to not follow God's plan and purpose because they discouraged the people with a distorted perception of who they were. We're grasshoppers. We're grasshoppers. We're grasshoppers. Ten men moved with fear, discouraged a nation, and a nation wandered in the wilderness. That generation wandered for 40 years till they all died never having the opportunity to step into the promised land. You know what I know about fear? It's contagious. And so is discouragement. That's why we're told to be careful what we say and how we say things. Because it's contagious. Fear multiplies rapidly. Fear is very real. Fear makes an environment of discouragement. And when you receive a discouraging word, listen, it happens. People send discouraging words. 
I probably have, and all, I was talk, been talking to pastors the last few weeks, and I've never seen more discouragement in my life. It's tough. So what I've determined to do is, okay, when I hear a word of discouragement, I want to fight that because I'm not going to let spirit of fear and discouragement dominate my life. So if someone was to give you a word of discouragement, wouldn't it be great if you said, I'm going to send out ten words of encouragement to people? When discouragement comes, find something encouraging to say to ten people. Uh, send an email. Uh, send a text. Uh, get on Facebook. Wouldn't it be great to say something positive on Facebook? I hear about all the bad stuff, but say something good. Give a word of encouragement. And I do appreciate because I do see that on Facebook. A lot of people are giving words of encouragement and saying things and sharing verses. That's good. We need that lest the spirit of fear overtake us. So you learn to basically give out encouragement rather than discouragement. And then fear dismisses God's promises. He promised to take them over there and set them up. Look what he says in verse 29. So I said to you, don't be afraid or terrified of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as you saw him do for you in Egypt. God had promised to take them from Egypt into a place he had designed for them, and his promise was good. They just didn't want to go. How many promises are left and abandoned on the table because we just are fearful? God's able. You know, the whole thing in Egypt was God was showing himself greater than the gods of Egypt. And in all that, he showed himself to be mighty. As they, This generation saw him plunder Egypt, part the Red Sea, and they saw God deliver them from the armies of Pharaoh, which was no small thing. And then they come to the edge of going into what he had promised. They said, we don't think God can deliver. One of the greatest tragedies of fear in our lives, we come to the point of thinking God can't deliver. And we give in to fear. And then the last is fear disobeys God's principles. Fear leads to disobedience. In verse 26, you were not willing to go up, rebelling against the command of the Lord, your God. To dwell in fear is costly. Do you know that Joshua and Caleb spent 40 years attending the funerals of their friends? All because they wouldn't go in the promised land. Fear prevents you from following God where he leads and doing what he asks. Fear somehow builds in our imagination that our God is small. And he's not. He's not. So now that we know that fear is costly, what do we do about it? Do we go, I don't know what to do? Because, Pastor, sometimes I am afraid. I'm afraid to share my faith. I'm 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 afraid to... To, to talk to people about their needs and the relationship to Christ. I'm afraid to trust Christ even with my own life. I'm, I'm afraid to trust him with my checkbook. I'm afraid to trust him with my vocation. I'm afraid to trust him with my family. Guys, all that's costly. You can't afford to live that way. You'll miss too much of what God's trying to do. You'll never experience the fullness and abundant life he promises in John 10.10. 10. 
I came to you, might have life, might have it more abundantly. Fear robs you of that abundance. It makes you timid and cowardly and very unattractive to a world that's looking for answers. Nobody's ever followed a coward, ever. And so to greatness. So I say this, fear is conquerable. There's three things I want you to know about this. The apprehension of fear and the spirit of fear does not come from God. That's what Paul is now telling Timothy. Look what he says. God's not giving you that spirit of fear that's running around inside you. God's not, don't say God's, God's holding me back or, or God. No, no, don't say all that because God hasn't given you that spirit of cowardice or fearfulness. He's not given that to any of us. And so you find that uh, he's, that doesn't come from God. It's a powerful weapon strategically used by Satan himself. And so there's three things I want to share with you to help you deal with this because it's right here in the text, very simply. God has not given us a spirit of fear, meaning Timothy had this fear. That's why Paul's writing it. He's encouraging him. But he has given us. Now, understand, he's not given us this thing here that, that paralyzes us, but he's given us something that sets us free. That lets us march out beyond our circumstances. And here's what he says. He's given us the spirit of one of power. Well, I have no doubt he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. The power of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God upon our salvation experience. And we receive the Spirit of God in our lives. He becomes our confidant, our companion, and he begins to work in us. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not walk under the influence of, of alcohol and wine, but walk under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. One doesn't affect you positively, but the other affects you positively and eternally. Walk in the power, the control, the leadership, the influence of the Holy Spirit. Our will is to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's how you face down fear. Our will, that, that, that mechanism that helps us make choices and decisions, our will is to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Not by culture, not by popular vote, not even by our peers, but by the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that's a battle, guys. Because everybody has a voice and everybody wants you to follow their voice. But the voice we must listen to is the voice of God. And it comes through the Holy Spirit. And so he influences our heart and our mind, our will. We walk and therefore we can join him with Paul. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he provides the power in me to be his witness, to be his uh, worker and to magnify his kingdom. That comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't muster that up. I can't. If I'm walking in the flesh, I'm going to be walking in fear all the time because I have no way to overcome fear. But if I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, God reminds me of what he's done in my past. He reminds me of victories that have occurred because of his power. He reminds me of promises he's always kept. And therefore, I step into the future knowing that God is able because of what he's done in the past. You see, the tragedy of fearfulness in, in the Hebrew people was they had walked across the parting of the Red Sea and then not could cross the Jordan River because of fear. We get there sometimes. He's saying, I want you to know that let the Holy Spirit influence you. You say, what does it make a difference? Well, it made a difference in Peter's life. You remember Peter? He was the guy who denied Christ because he was afraid. Denied him three times because he was afraid. Bottom line, he was afraid. But something happened to that man. 
Because when Pentecost came, Acts 2, Peter changed. He was still a work in progress, like all of us, but he changed. And all of a sudden, when it came time for someone to step up and tell everybody what was happening, Peter said, let me preach. Let me do this. You know, I'm sure the guys from John needs to do this. John needs to do this. Not you, Peter, because you never know what Peter was going to say. No, no, let me do this. Because I'm not afraid anymore. I don't care who knows I'm a Christian. I don't care who knows I'm a follower of Christ. I don't care what they'll say when I tell them what's happened. But God has put a word in my heart, and I want to share it. I'm no longer afraid to share it. And he shared, and thousands came to know Christ. And then when they brought him in and said, you've got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus because you're messing things up, he said, I'm not afraid of you. That's the difference the Holy Spirit makes. So if you're bound by fear... You need to stop for a minute and say, Lord, who's influencing my life? And I walk in my own power. Because God's not designed you to walk in the spirit of fearfulness. The second thing, our heart is motivated by God's love. Motivated by God's love. Wow. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. All right. Our heart is to be motivated by God's love. God loves me. And if he loves me, what do I have to be afraid of? If if I've experienced his love, I don't have to be afraid of death. Because I know where I'm going when I die. I don't have to be afraid of judgment because that's occurred at the cross. And I've been hidden in the cross. I don't have to be afraid of the coming judgment. Because he loves me. And he showed he loved me by dying for me when I was still a sinner. And so Christ is not going to judge me. The great white throne judgment is not my destination. Not going to be there. Because of the defining moment in Christ. And so, but he loves me. He'll never stop loving me. Love is a very powerful motivator. When someone loves you, it just owns you, doesn't it? And that's what it is for me. I've told you the story, the reason I, man, I, when I realized Charlene loved me, I, I just just loved her more than I could ever describe. She she loved me, and, and I knew that. And I'll never forget years and years and years ago, before we were married, um, she had been gone on vacation with her family, and I had not seen her for a week. And, boy, I loved her. And, and I, you know, and <clears throat> we were engaged, and I missed her. And so I just... Uh, she called me, or I called, <clears throat> I called to see if she got home. And I was working uh, with riches, and, and I was at a, at a, at a show at, at the center, Civic Center down in Atlanta. And um, I called to see if she got home, and she got home. And uh, to hear her voice was amazing. And then she said, 
come over and see me. And I'm thinking, I'm working. And she said, I sure would like to see you. So, you know, and then I just made a decision. I went to see her. I was young. I don't regret going to see her. Now, the next day, uh, my manager said, what did you do? You left early last night. I said, yeah, I did. He said, well, you just can't do that. I said, well, no, there was nobody. They weren't doing anything. There was no business. So I, you know. He said, well, you just can't do that. I said, okay, you're right. And they chewed on me, and they should have, and it was worth a bit of it. That's the power of love. The biggest concern I have for the church today is we're becoming disconnected from the power of God's love because we're overwhelmed with stuff. We're worrying about stuff we're not supposed to worry about. We're consumed by things that, that are contrary to his will for our lives and we find ourselves becoming fearful. Motivated by God's love. Well, the last thing is this. Our mind is to be renewed by disciplined thoughts from Scripture and prayer. 2 Corinthians 2. I'm sorry. uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 2. Actually, verse 5, I think it is. And in every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The reason we are fearful is because fearful thoughts enter our mind. We turn on the news and we go, oh my gosh, I'm losing my retirement. We turn on the TV and we say, oh no, there's another war breaking out. Or there's another terrorist attack in plan. Or there's something going wrong with the economy. Or the Dow dropped. Or there's been another earthquake. And fear begins to creep into our lives. And we're going to have worry and thoughts. And next thing he said, he said, if you really want to walk above all that and have the abundant life, you must learn how to bring your thoughts into captivity. How do you, you got to learn to say, wait a minute, that's a foreign thought to the nature of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God and the power of God. That's foreign. That's foreign to the promises of God. If it is, you've got to bring it into captivity. You've got to isolate it and get it out of your thinking. And that's what Paul was trying to do with Timothy. He's saying, guys, hey, listen, Timothy, I know you're kind of letting this fear thing. You know that I'm going to be executed. You know things aren't looking good for me, but I want you to look looking great for me. I'm going to go home. I'm ready for this moment. I'm not afraid. Doesn't matter what people are telling you about me. I'm not afraid. I don't want you to be afraid. And when you have those thoughts of fearfulness... And you pull back from sharing the gospel or sharing your story or or ministering to people because you're afraid. Remember this. Put that thought into captivity because it's foreign to my plan for your life, my purpose in your life, my power through your life. And don't give in to it. The biggest danger we face is we give in to the thoughts we should discard. We hold on them way too long. We we mull over them. We 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 
process them way too long. And the next thing you know, we're fearful. We let lies enter our thinking and our heart and we, we, we ponder them way too long. We should dismiss them. You bring fearful thoughts under the authority of God's word. We become a fearful people. And I look around what God's doing around the world in Cuba when it's against the law to have church. They're meeting in house churches. And hundreds of people are showing up. They're not afraid to share the gospel, even though it's illegal. I see that in China. I see it in places around the world. In, in, in Muslim-dominated villages, our missionaries are sharing the gospel and they're giving their hearts to Christ and being baptized, knowing that it may be their imminent death. Man, we've got to get beyond our fears. Unless we miss the opportunities for which God has designed us. Joshua and Caleb never gave in to the fear. And they did walk in the promised land. And they did conquer the giants. And they saw the walls of Jericho crumble under the power of God. If we walk in fearfulness, we'll never see what God can do. Oh, with Jesus, I can take it. With him, I know I can stand. No matter what may come my way, my life is in his hand. If you're afraid of living where the Lord is leading, then cultivate your relationship with him. Put your life in his hands. Face your fear. Face your fear. Put it out, put it where it belongs, under the feet of Jesus. Jesus.